Good morning, brothers and sisters. As our brother Malcolm mentioned, the portion of scripture allotted to us this morning is found in Daniel chapter 3. But before we turn to that passage, if maybe we could just read one verse in the New Testament, and it's found, it's the last verse of the first epistle of John. And it reads like this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for this morning, for the privilege we have to remember thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that even though he is a holy God, he has made atonement for us that we could approach thee as Abba Father. We ask that your name would be glorified this morning and that Jesus Christ would be in our very thoughts. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, the reason I read that verse, brothers and sisters, is just to emphasize that this scripture, even though this comes from an ancient story, a historical event that happened, not fairy tale, it's something that applies to us today. Uh, the verse that we read was in the New Testament, and here John the Apostle is writing to us, the believers, the church. These uh, truths still apply in our everyday lives. With that being said, let's just go ahead and read this incredibly interesting story that many children are familiar with, but nonetheless is very beneficial to hear it again. Chapter 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits and breadth thereof six cubits. He set, up, set it upon the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, set to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the providence to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king set up. And then the princes and the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the providences, providences were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried out loud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time when you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, that ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden idol, golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at, at the time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the, into the midst of the fiery furnace. And certain Jews, whom thou hast set over the affairs 
of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. Uh, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king Shadrach. Uh, um, Nebuchadnezzar sp- spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now if ye be ready, that at, at the time that when you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the fiery furnace, burning fiery furnace. And who is the God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Let me read that portion again. Who is the God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should not heat that they should heat the furnace uh, one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fiery furnace. And these men bound the, their coats and, uh, and their hosen and their hats and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king commanded, commandment was urgent, the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the midst of the fiery of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king astonished and arose in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast out did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking amidst the fire. They have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the fire of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth uh, from amidst the fire, and the princes and the governors and the captains and the counselors gathered together and saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair on, on their head singed, Neither was their coats changed, nor the smell of fire uh, had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had set his angel and delivered uh, his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies bodies that they might not serve uh, or worship any, any god except their own god. Wherefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, language, which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no God uh, that can deliver 
after this sort. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. This is, a, like I said, it's a very familiar story which we have heard in our Sunday schools, which uh, parents have read to their kids. And it's, it's a, a very um, amazing image, amazing visual. When, when we used to read these stories as kids in devotions, I, I, I would just imagine of, of what it would be like. Um, and, and like again, these stories are very benefi- beneficial to us as grown-ups, to the children, and to us nowadays, even though this is an ancient story. Um, and there's a few lessons that we could uh, glean from, from this chapter in particular. But before we go into that, I just want to point out that the book of Daniel, it's, it's, if you're going to divide the book of Daniel into sections, there's chapters 1 through 5 and chapters 6 through 12. At, at least that's what the general consensus is. And in, in chapters 1 through 5, our brother Mike did a, a, a very uh, detailed job of, of outlining uh, the themes that are uh, throughout the book of Daniel about this uh, great city, Babylon, the significance that it has um, uh, today and in the future, um, in in future events that are um, prophesied in in various books. Um, One theme that I want to focus on this morning, we read idolatry. It's, it's, It's something that the Apostle John is warning the church to keep yourselves from idols. Now, an idol, we could think of it as an actual image that you worship, right? This is what pagans did in the Old Testament. There's some cultures today that still do that to this very day. But idolatry is when God looks upon your life. If he sees anything that is before him, is considered an idol. Now, I'm not talking about here in number first place, you should have God, and then you have A, B, C, D, and then that's okay if God's on top. No. Basically, God should have the preeminence in your life. And everything else that is uh, given to you, that you're blessed with, anything that, that you have, should be to the honor and glory of his name. You hear that? So it, today, even today, we could fall victims to this very sin. To value something before God is sin. And this, this concept of value is seen through these first chapters. In chapter 1, we would see uh, that Nebuchadnezzar, when he would uh, take the people captive, he would take these vessels of gold, something of value. It would specifically say the vessels of gold. And to, his, to, to the best knowledge that he had of honoring this unknown God, he would put it in the, in, in, with, the, with the stuff that he gathered from the other gods, right? In some sense, he was, in his pagan mind, he thought he was honoring this Jewish God. In chapter 2, we write of uh, this, this image, right? This, this dream image, and then Brother Dave discussed that. And the description of the image, there was various materials, specifically metals, from the top of the gold to the silver to the brass to the iron to the, to the ceramic and, and to the clay. There's an ascension of materials. And if you notice, there's value in that as well. There's a description of gold at the top to the bottom to the least value, right? So there's this concept of value. Now, what is the, 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 the theme in this chapter? Well, there's, there's value in 
the sense that here is Nebuchadnezzar. He's given in, in a prophecy in chapter 2. And, and he, it was revealed. He himself, he goes, your God is the revealer of dreams. He would tell that to Daniel. For he revealed this thing that has left me. And he would prophesy. Do you remember what the prophecy was? It was that this, this great image, which represented different kingdoms and different empires, would ultimately collapse. And even though Babylon was described as the head of gold, the one that had the most uh, uh, value in, in an earthly sense, it would still collapse. And here we would see in verse 1 that he set an image of gold. Now, I don't know if, if Nebuchadnezzar would see that prophecy that we see in chapter 2 as maybe this is a warning to him that he's going to try to establish his, his dominion forever. Maybe he wanted to, to, to saw it as something that he could change. But the sovereign will of God will not change. Value, brother and sisters. Where do we place our ultimate value? And you see that humanity, even nowadays, they place the ultimate value into something that is not God. And that is idolatry. When you place value into the ultimate value in the only place that God deserves, and you replace it with whether it be government, family, pleasures, possessions, that is sin. That's called idolatry. Now, we recently had... An interesting election here in, in, in uh, the United States. This great country that the Lord has, has provided to us. But brothers, we need to be warned about getting more involved into government, right? You would, you would see the example of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, which is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, that they just didn't go crawl into Babylon, lock themselves up, and just prayed and waited for the Lord to do things. No, they got involved. They got jobs. And, and, and they got involved in society. Now, they didn't get involved in the sin of the society. But no, they didn't hide. They would carry the testimony of God, God's work, wherever they would lead. The same thing applies to us nowadays. We need to go to our secular employments. We need to do, get involved. Not get involved with the world and what they do. But we need to get involved in society and be a testimony of God to the people so that they could see and God will bless us and as he would bless them he will promote them in chapter 1 you would see that it was from something so simple as a diet to now where they're threatened their very lives to be burnt alive but yet they stood faithful and in saying that we need to prioritize right what's more important is it more important on who we vote for or is prayer more important it's a, it's a serious question. And some people would, would, would take the political view, oh, we have, we have to get this person elected. Do we? Who's the one that promotes people in power? And we have to take the, the stance of these men, right? Now, there's two views when it comes to uh, sovereign power. I'm talking about earthly power, governments, kingdoms, Right? In Romans 13, it says this, Every soul be subjected unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. But the powers that are ordained of God, whosoever resisteth power, resisteth the ordinance of God. So, I, dare I say this, brothers, if Hillary was elected, 
we would be subjected to her authority, right? Whether you like it or not, God is the one that raises and lowers kingdoms. As we see throughout this book, Nebuchadnezzar comes up. Babylon is the great, the great empire. Here comes the Medo-Persians, squishes Belshazzar and raises up uh, Darius and, and uh, different kingdoms. Kingdoms come, kingdoms fall. The person that appoints them is God. He's sovereign. He's in control. So we are to submit to our authorities that are placed over us. And then the only exception, right, to that is we see that in the New Testament. When it comes to when by obeying an ordinance given by government, by uh, uh, an employer, by somebody that has authority over you, by subjecting, if you're going to obey something, that a policy that's posed to you is going to correlate to direct disobedience to God, that's where the Christian makes a stance. And how does a Christian make a stance? The same way these men did. And we're going to just refer to a example of that in the New Testament. Remember when uh, in, in the book of Acts, when Peter and the apostles will heal a man, right? In, in Acts 14, it says the apostles forbidden to preach Christ. They were forbidden to do what? Preach Christ. That would be directly disobeying the commandment of Christ. It says, saying, did we not uh, straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. They stood for the truth. They weren't rebelling against government, but now when government says you can't do that and it's going to be a direct disobedience to the higher authority, then they stood their ground and they said we ought to obey God rather than man. No, brother and sister, does that mean we could gather up, picket, riot, stand in front of abortion clinics and and start uh, exploding some of these buildings and start doing some of these, these vile things? In the name of a good cause? What did these men do? They accepted the consequence of their action. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. They were cast into prison. Did they fight? No. They trusted on the God whom they were obeying and delivered them. The same way these men obeyed God and accepted the consequence of their action. How different it is from different religious groups and sects that they will pick up arms and fight. And oh, how Lord Jesus Christ would condemn Peter when he would raise his sword and would tell him, Peter, does not thou know that my father, if I ask of my father, he will send 12 legions of angels. It is not your sword. This is, this is the father's will being carried out. So Nebuchadnezzar set up this golden image and he would bring up the rulers, all the people that were in authority, the people that were high in office. And surely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were part of that group. And when it comes to power, there's always climbing the corporate ladder. There's always people that are jealous. People, when people get promoted at work, it never ceases to amaze me how many bitter people that were at the same level as that person that now got moved out, instead of being happy for the person. And maybe perhaps it was just jealousy. These Chaldeans 
would go out and say these Jews, right? These men whom you promoted are not disobeying your commandment, O king. So th- this, this sense of false worship that was set up and that Nebuchadnezzar would command, when these instruments would play, everybody's going to bow down and worship. And here these three men would stand bold in the faith and not stand. Now notice, it, I find it interesting, uh, this, this uh, mention of music. Now we have, we have the guitar, we have the piano, and those things are, are, are God-given talents to different individuals, and they could praise the Lord with their hearts and the music, and, and that's perfectly fine. In Psalms 150, it was a, it's actually a song in Spanish that uh, my parents taught us as kids, where it says that, let everything that has breath bring praise to the Lord. Amen. But this is different. This is, in a sense, the music, the instruments themselves, are leading worship. You see that? There's a, there's a false sense of worship there. And people fall victim to that nowadays. Different uh, groups will call religious or, or worship leaders, which they'll play instruments, and then everybody would, would lead into worship. It's not the instrument itself that leads worship. It comes from the heart. In admiration, in adoration to your creator, to your God, the one that saved you. It's an attitude of service, serving the true and living God. It doesn't come from instruments. So the king would would call furiously, and he would call these three men. He would call them to answer, right? He's giving them a choice. Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is it true? And he would ask, he would give them one more chance to do his commandment, and he would ask that question, that question which I'm sure was meant to terrify them. Who is the God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Now pay attention, brothers and sisters, to the answer that they give. Now, I'm reading from the King James. It's an it's a, a older type of language that sometimes doesn't make sense at first sight when you read it. And it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, it doesn't, it's not saying that we are not uh, answering your question with care. We're not being disrespectful. That we're just, we don't care about you or your question, right? It's, it's along the lines of we are answering that we're not careful. We're, we are already decided This is not an issue for us, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. We could answer this right now because it is revealed. We don't have a choice in this. Our God is clear in what he wants us to do, and they will just go ahead and straight answer him. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand. Now, they say two things, right? The God that we serve, he's able. He's able to deliver us out of the hot oven, that fiery furnace. All things are possible through him. He's able to deliver us out of your hand, right? They're just answering facts. They're, they're not necessarily trying to make this king furious, right? They don't want to be cut into pieces in their house made of dunghill. Who wants that, Right? But they're, they, they're confident in their God. And again, we have to be careful, right? When we read and teach these stories to the kids, it's, it's 
a delightful story. Don't get me wrong. But it, it's not all peaches and cream. It's not all jumping up and down and having joy. Imagine what these men went through the night before, knowing that this was going to happen. Imagine when they were with their families. Perhaps they had wives and kids. Could you imagine the conversations they had with them? Do you have to do, you have to do this? Do you have to stand? Can you just bow down and not mean it? I'm sure there's... This is, this is an empire. There's a bunch of nations that, that were there that had their own gods. I'm sure they bowed down and just didn't mean it. Can't we better serve God if we live longer and then just do this this one time? And imagine the agony and the stress and the heartache that this man went through. It's almost reminiscent of when our Lord Jesus Christ was in that Garden of Gethsemane. We were mentioned this morning how we have now the, 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 the right to, to refer to him as Abba Father, this holy, twice holy God, whom is holy, and it's terrifying that he's holy, but us being redeemed and atoned could approach him as Abba Father. Jesus Christ would sit in the garden and say, Abba Father, all things are possible unto thee. Let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he would suffer, suffer greatly, knowing what's to, what's to come. These men didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know that the Lord would intercede. But they knew they had to obey. And they were not saved from the king's hand. They were not saved from the furnace. But they were saved through it. Think about that. They were saved through it. Not knowing the outcome. How hard must have that been for those three men who were faithfully standing on what they believed and on the God whom they placed their faith on. Oh, that we need more Hananiah, Azariahs, and Mishaels in our day, in our assembly, to stand up for the truth, to stand up for the faith that they believe in, to falter not when, when testing comes, when opposition from this world, which comes every day in our jobs, in our schools, and from other family members, that we might be like these men who will stand firm and believe in their God and tell that king, O king, our God can deliver us, but if he won't, we will still obey him. Why, brothers and sisters, why didn't God deliver them from being cast into this furnace? It's a valid question, right? Why must their faith be tested so? I dare say that sooner or later, God must save his people from idolatry. And the only way to do it is that they have to be tested to be demonstrated faithful. We see examples of this in the Old Testament in Mount Moriah, that very dramatic scene where in one hand, Abraham has everything that's near and dear to him, everything that was promised, everything that his life was worth in the person of Isaac. And here we have on the other side God saying, Abraham, take up thy son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and offer him up to me. And oh, how Abraham would sit there and not, not even think about it. He would take up the lad and go traveling to Mount Moriah. And they would come to the place 
when it was far off, he would tell the people to stay behind, that I and the lad are going to go up to worship. And God would test Abraham. Now, it wasn't that God called Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees and put him to this test right away, this monstrous test. God would reveal himself to Abraham, and he would prove himself to Abraham over and over and over. Where Abraham would fail, God would come through. And as the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 11 would write that Abraham, by faith, would offer up Isaac. By faith, he saw the evidence. He, there was a lifetime of signs of work that God has demonstrated in his life that he placed his faith on God. I don't know how you're going to do it, God. I don't know how you're going to do it. You told me through Isaac shall my seed be. And it, I'm just going to put my faith on you. You've demonstrated in the past, that you've always come through. I will listen to you. Even if it takes some, you raising him from the dead, I'm going to put my faith in you. As these men in chapter 1 would not defile themselves from the king's meat, and they would eat poultry, vegetables, to not defile their bodies, they were putting their faith and trust in God, and they would see this evidence that God, that when they're faithful in God, God would come through for them. He would be faithful, loyal, and he would protect them. And it comes to this great test from chapter 1 to now. Now it's not a question of diet. It's a question of burning and dying. Why, Christian, does God put him through the test? So that their faith may be strengthened, just as Abraham. Even as Job, we could go into that example. Why? Why did Job have to go through that? Well, we see from that account that God was right, but Job was put to the test. So, brothers and sisters, we at some point are put to the test that our faith falter not. And their faith carried them through where this fiery furnace would open up and it would consume those mighty men that were taking them to, to the furnace and they would be cast in there. And God would save them through the furnace. Imagine that. Their Savior left the splendors of heaven from the right, side, right hand of Father and would come to this earth, into that furnace, and carry them through and would save them. He would loosen them and save them from that fire furnace. Amen that we have a God. Amen that we have Jesus Christ. That he would take that punishment for us that he would carry that load, he would pay that wage that we could not pay to save us. And they were cast into the fire and he would be there with them. And here we see a change of heart in, in, in Nebuchadnezzar as he would see them, as I see four. And this, the image of the fourth is like the Son of God. Our time is, is running out, brothers and sisters. But I would like to say this, Romans 12.1, one of the most, uh, it's a very popular or commonly known verse. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is what these men did. They presented their bodies as a living sacrifice to the true and living God, the one that protected them 
during the captivity, that protected them through the trials of the diet, that protected them through the furnace. To have devotion of this magnitude to their God, it starts again with the smaller things, the smaller tests, that when this colossal test comes into your life, you already have seen God's work, just as Abraham would have seen God's hand in his life. If we're not putting our faith and trust in the living God and the small everyday things, these small trials and temptations, oh, how we are going to falter when the big one comes. May we be encouraged by these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, better known as Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and how strong they were in their faith. And instead of being burnt alive, they were promoted. Every good gift comes from above, right? Our God is a good God. Why don't we put our trust in him as he is a good God, that he knows what's best for us? Why don't we put faith in the one that conquered death? If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you don't know where you're going to go when you die, what are you putting your faith in? Let's be honest. What do you have to look forward to? There's one appointment that you will never miss, and it's death. Every day, somebody dies. Every one out of one dies. That's a proven fact. Why not put your faith in the only one that has conquered that death? Putting faith, not a blind faith, not leaping out of a mountain, not knowing, but looking at the evidence that Christ came into the world to save sinners, the one who lived a perfect life, the one who obeyed God, and the one who died and conquered the grave. Who else can you put your faith on? Is it in your good works? Is it in your family? Is it in your... In your, your what can you put your faith in? Look at the evidence that's provided. The only one that conquered the grave. And why don't you put your faith in him this morning so that when that day comes, you will have a Savior with you when that trial comes. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for this story, for this great historical event that happened, how we see your goodness, how we see your faithfulness through it, Father. Oh, we pray that we would keep ourselves from idols, that we would solely be dedicated to you, that our faith would be in thee only. We pray for the congregation as we depart today, Father, that they would be blessed with the scripture, Father. We ask your blessing upon them. In your son's most precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.